Well, it's wonderful to see you all this morning. As uh, we started this year, and we're going to be really focusing on faith a lot this year as we talk about uh, kind of that fundamental of uh, what God has for us and, and as we grow to be these generational transformational disciples that God has called us to be in our valley. And so we just finished last week really kind of a, a series talking about what faith is and where it comes from. And, and, and you know, if you deal with faith long enough, uh, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see, well, you're going to run into doubt. And uh, there is no way around that because you're having confidence in what you're hoping for. You're, you're, you're assured of things that you, you haven't experienced, you don't see. And uh, therefore, if, if you're a thinking person, there is going to be doubt. There's going to be questions. Where is God when I don't see him? Uh, what, are, what is God doing when it appears that he's inactive? And therefore, uh, we've decided as we're going to go into this, uh, this year, we want to talk about that because Scripture really does talk about doubt uh, quite a bit. In fact, there is an entire book in the Old Testament, it's not very long, it's a prophet, uh, Habakkuk, uh, which deals directly with this. And so uh, if you're here this morning and you've ever uh, been frustrated with God, <laughs> you know, he's just not doing what you're asking him to do, even though you're asking him for good things oftentimes, right? Uh, have you ever been there and you just seemingly are praying for those good things, but you get what it feels like nothing but crickets back, <laughs> like just silence, deafening? If you ever wondered how a good God could allow wickedness and evil and corruption in spite of the prayers and the efforts of his good people, um, well, this is going to be a series for you. <laughs> and I think you're going to be really encouraged. And I imagine that uh, as we get to the end of that, uh, just as Habakkuk did, as he walked through and worked through his doubts, he found a great confidence and joy in what God is doing because of who God is. And so a faith that uh, today we're going to talk about a faith that questions uh, is, is one that uh, eventually leads to praise. Uh, so that's where we're going to end up. And our, our central verse of this particular book, and I encourage you to even set this to memory, is Habakkuk 2.4, kind of right in the middle of this very short prophecy. And it says there, see the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright. I don't know if you've ever seen that or witnessed that in the world. But it says, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And that's really the core at the very center. Now, this is not the conclusion of the book, which I think is much more poetic and beautiful. We'll get to that in a couple weeks. But to recognize that even though the world, the, 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 the way the world, the enemy, the, the, the corrupt people, they're, they're going to be puffed up. They're going to be uh, filled with their own ideas, believing that they're the best. They know what is right, uh, not God. They're going to sit in judgment over God and say, you know, in his church and all this, they're going to be proud uh, the desires of this world, we've kind of replaced good for evil. You remember things are kind of all backwards right now. But the righteous person, even in the midst of this, we live by our faithfulness. And we talked about all the way through last series how faithfulness is the, the highest form of the culmination of faith when it's at its fullest form, that when we are loyal to God, there is righteousness and life. So on your, on your connection card on the very top of there, you're going to see that there is that, that verse there. Uh, I encourage you, set this to your heart and to your mind because we live in a world in which there are, the enemy is alive and well right now for a temporary time, is puffed up, right? But we have a different way to live. 
And it's a great reminder that it's not just what we do, but where our loyalty lies, that we're going to live by faithfulness. So take that with you. Think about it this week. Set it to your heart and your mind. And now as you're doing that, why don't you turn to the book of Habakkuk? I'm going to give you a few moments to do that because uh, most of us don't know where the minor prophets are because they're kind of buried at the very end of the Old Testament, right? They're these little tiny short books uh, that are in there. And uh, it's, if you turn into that, um, you're going to recognize that this is, a, um, this is an interesting book. That this is an interesting prophecy, right? It's a conversation not between the prophet and the people. Most prophecies, the prophet looks at the wickedness of the people, and the nation at this time was just going downhill. It was in deep spiritual decline, right? And this uh, Habakkuk was a contemporary of, of Nahum, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, the time of uh, with, with Babylon was the, the big uh, bad guy and, uh, and was going to come in and uh, was going to eventually take Israel captive. I mean, it was, it was a bad time. The people were wandering from God. Uh, Habakkuk started uh, his ministry you know, his, in his life. He was under the king of a, a very good king, Josiah and who reigned from about 640 to 609 B.C. But then when Josiah, all these wonderful, amazing reforms, bringing the people back to God, there was Jehoiakim, uh, who reigned from 609 to about 598, who was just about the opposite, like just absolutely awful. And the prophet sees all of this, and uh, because of his writings and because of, of uh, the fact that he writes like a, a hymn kind of near the end of it, it's very likely, and in, in his knowledge of Scripture and all of this, probably a, a priest, probably a worship priest, like a worship pastor, probably worked in the temple, uh, was there, uh, and was very concerned about the depravity that he was seeing, and, and he was praying consistently for the people, and he was, he was pouring out his life, trying to bring revival back to the land, and he was talking to God all this time, and all he saw was the people going away. And instead of like most prophets who then have a prophecy from God to the people say, turn and repent or else watch out, now God had other prophets that were, that were saying that. But Habakkuk is not that one. Habakkuk is a he takes this frustration, and he's like, God, why do I care about your people more than you? I'm here asking you for something good. right? Why not revival? These are your people. And, I, and I'm praying there is at least one faithful person in this land. And then there's Jeremiah, and there's Nahum. There are other prophets that are here as well. Like, we love you They're for the sake of your elect. Why are you not turning the heart of the nation and he goes to God. This is what the whole prophecy is. Like he, he goes to God and he's like, what's up, God? What are you doing? And uh, I think it's really heartfelt. It's a conversation between a, 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 a person who loves the Lord and God himself in the midst of his doubt. He was loyal to God. He was faithful. But he just couldn't understand what, what God was about. Like, why wouldn't he act? Why would he allow this amazing, this, this nation that was to be a light in the darkness to seem to be being snuffed out by wickedness? Why would evil be allowed to seemingly win the day? And in his day, and that's exactly what he saw, Babylon was really in power. Uh, in 605, the Babylonian Empire went south and defeated Egypt which was kind of protecting uh, Israel at the time. There was two superpowers, and they were kind of in the middle. 
And once Egypt had been destroyed, Nebuchadnezzar went back up and was able to, to destroy Israel, take Jerusalem, ransack the temple, bring the people into captivity uh, for 70 years. And that's exactly, I mean, from 606 to 586, this is what happened. And this prophet got to see all of those things in his day, in spite of the fact that he was a very faithful man. And Habakkuk knew scripture well, and as a guy who was probably uh, working in the temple and all this, he would have heard the prophecies of Jeremiah. In fact, it seems from this writing, he was very well aware of them, that, that he saw all this, and, and, uh, and yet he still had this faith in God. He wasn't going to allow all of those other things, the fact that the nation seemed to continue in this moral slide away from God to take his faithfulness from his Lord. So he just wondered, God, why aren't you doing more? Like, I could use a little help here, God. Have you ever felt that way? Yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've definitely identified with Habakkuk so much that where I don't just pray for you, but I pray for our nation. And I look at sometimes what is happening in our culture and it's just heartbreaking and i'm like lord i know that you can change anything so why don't you like this is not a hard thing for you god like why should we as your people care more about this culture than you do yeah and i think that as we we read through this book we find a confidence in what we hope for an assurance about what we do not see. Uh, that, that, that we have a God who is not just a God who is powerful, but he's a God who is faithful too. And he's not just the God of the small things, he is God of, of the big picture. And God is doing something amazing. And so we find that uh, this, this prophet, he gets to this point where he recognizes that God is even bigger than his questions, and he's more righteous than than our small requests for revival, that our God is, is not inactive, but how does he get there? Well, I think part of it, just look at his name. God is so poetic. God is so poetic. Habakkuk, you know what his name means? To wrestle, but it also means to embrace. Isn't that awesome? And he does both. He's a prophet that was a man that, that was bold enough just like uh, Jacob, who was able to go and to wrestle with God, and God changed him to his name Israel, right? To, he can wrestle with God because God is strong enough. But he was also big enough to embrace God, to be faithful. And we find that in, in this book that, uh, that God doesn't always owe us an answer, but God does reveal himself to us, and he invites us into the bigger picture. So I hope that gave you enough time to find that book, Right? And as we get there, as we start in the beginning of Habakkuk, we find that in the, it, this prophet, with all of his prayers, and with all of his frustrations, with all of his, his wonderings about what God is doing, he really boils it down to two real questions for God. And I think they're ones that we can identify with. And the first one is, God, do you even care? Right? I'm praying for you. I, I'm praying for your people. Doesn't seem like you're doing anything. They even care. Verses uh, 2 through 4, it says, How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen or cry out to you. Violence, but you don't save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is, get this, paralyzed. And justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Do you ever feel that way? 
Do we look at our world sometimes and we feel exactly like this? And we say, God, how long? We're asking you, the God of the universe, we don't have any lack of faith in your power, God. No mistake that you're a righteous God, you're a good God, we're praying. Why don't you do something? Because it's corrupt. And do you know something that's interesting? It's not the first time that a government has been corrupt. Who knew? Uh, The world has been full of corruption for quite some time. Have you met that? And the prophet said, what am I going to do with this? Do you even care? I'm here. I'm trying to serve you. It's kind of difficult, and I could use some of your mighty power help. Do you even care, God? And I think he's probably also wrestled, why should I care about this nation more than you do? Why should I care about, you've clearly put Israel in this space, in the world, gave us a a, a position so that we could show how mighty and good you are, God, and right now you're looking pretty weak. We were dependent upon pagan Egypt, and we're worried about pagan Babylon. We look pretty weak, God. We don't look like you are a very powerful, mighty God, which we know you are. What are you doing? Even your own people. You're just going to let your children act like this? Does God care about injustice and depravity? That's the question. And if you are a person who's been following God and you've been praying and praying and praying and you look at what's happening in the world, I think we have to ask that question too. How could a righteous God allow this world to be so darn depraved? Especially when his people, salt and light, are in the midst of it, asking him to do something. Well, God has an answer. But sometimes God's answer is not what we want to hear. See, God starts off with some good news. Like he gets there and he says, hey, guess what? I see and I hear and actually I'm working. And he starts on verse 5. He says, this is God's reply to the prophet. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Don't you long to hear that message from God? In fact, a lot of people even memorize this passage, but I think they should look at the context, too. It's amazing. God's at work. He tells Habakkuk, hey, listen, it looks like I'm not doing anything, but you're going to be amazed. I'm actually doing something phenomenal. I do care, and I'm going to do something. I'm going to act, and you're going to see it with your own eyes, right? And you wouldn't even believe me. It's, it's so outside of, of the box that, uh, of your comprehension of what I think you think I can do that you're, if I didn't tell you about this, you wouldn't believe it was even possible. We want to hear that kind of response from God, don't we? Well, this is the same God who's at work today. The thing is, is that what God is going to do isn't necessarily what we would always like him to do. You see, if we just stopped here, this would be a pretty happy passage. But then it goes on and he says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. That ruthless and impetuous people to sweep across the whole earth and to sweep the seas dwellings that aren't their own. What? <laughs> well, yes, I am amazed by that, God. And yes, I was not expecting that, and I wouldn't have believed it unless you had told me. <laughs> so true. See, God's plan was to discipline the faithlessness and the corruption of Israel by sending in a more faithless and more corrupt, powerful empire, Babylon. And if that doesn't seem strange to you, maybe you didn't hear me. That's just weird. And now, the Babylonians were, were the perfect uh, uh, agents of God's wrath. 
And, and God goes on in, in detail in the rest of this uh, that chapter there, really talking about how the Babylonians were absolutely perfect for this job. They were proud. They were arrogant. They had mighty armies. They were swift. They were violent. They didn't care about anybody. They were going to bring justice with, with vengeance. Like God's vengeance was going to come upon the, the faithlessness of Israel. It was going to come. They were going to come hard. Just like the prophet had been praying, like God, judge the wickedness of my land. God's like, I am going to answer your prayer. And the Babylonians are just perfect for this because they don't care. And there's going to be suffering and death and pain, and the nation will change. Trust me, they're going to feel this one. And so he goes on, and he doesn't just talk about powerful they are. He then goes on, and he talks about how evil they are, right? That, that really, he says, the Babylonians are a guilty people whose strength is their God. Now, Israel was bad, but at least they still had the temple. They at least gave lip service to God. These people... They're so proud, they were basically worship themselves. God says, yep, they're evil. They're an evil people. And, uh, and that's the hard pill to swallow if you're the prophet. Because this is not what you're praying for. You're praying for a revival so that God's people can be in power, and that way God's ways can be expanded throughout the globe, right? That God's kingdom should have this great power, and wicked things should fall away. Not that... To punish wickedness, we're going to make the most wicked people more powerful and then overcome the righteous, what it looks like. And so the prophet, he hears this, and it was good that God was working, and he saw that there was wickedness, but then he had the second question once he realized God's plan, is that God, do you know what you're doing? Like, like have you thought this through, Almighty One? <laughs> Like, have you really got this? You seem a little inconsistent here, right? It, it, he, he talks about how God is eternal in, like, verse 12, how God is sovereign and in there as well, right? He, he's like, God, we know that you're eternal. We know that you're sovereign, that you, that you can do whatever you want, that you're wise. You've seen the end for the beginning and all those kind of things. But verse 13, he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. Like, what? How can you use the Babylonians? They're worse than we are. If you're going to judge us, what about them? He says, why then you tolerate the, the, treacherous, the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Like, this seems completely wrong, God. Bad plan. Have you ever been there? Where God's plan or design just seems like it's just crazy? And you wonder if God knows what he's doing? Or maybe it's just in your own life. You're trying to follow him, and in spite of every best effort that you're taking to be faithful to God, it just seems like everything's falling apart. And you're like, God, what? Do you? I know that you're eternal, and I know that you're sovereign, but it doesn't really seem like you're using your power or your wisdom very well. Well, that's where the prophet was. And uh, he's like, especially if you're going to do all this in the name of righteousness, if you're going to you're going to punish wickedness in the name of righteousness, then maybe we should use like a righteous people at least to do it, not those that are more wicked. And if, if you're going to raise up a more wicked people to destroy us, what kind of message does that send to the world, God? Does it not make wicked things and people look more powerful than you? God doesn't always make sense. And the prophet was really beginning to wrestle with this because he had 
God himself gives him a direct reply to his question. And God's ways are not our ways. And sometimes we just have to ask, and we do, as just of our nature, out of our limited understanding, and we're not wrong. We're just like, Lord, I don't, I don't get it. How can you be doing something amazing through this? And the prophet ends up, he gives this, uh, this illustration of like fish and nets. And he's like, you know, you've basically, we're, we're just like fish in a barrel, basically. Like you've made us, we don't really have any leader. We don't know what we're doing as a nation. And these, these powerful Babylonians are just going to destroy us. They're going to dredge us up just like, we have, like a fisherman takes fish with their nets. Like we are hopeless and helpless without you, right? We, we're your people and we have no hope. And we feel a little abandoned in the midst of your plan, God. And after he brings that concern to God, in verse uh, 2, he says, I'm going to stand at my watch, and I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look and see what they will say to me. And, and what, answer am I to give to, what, what answer am I to give to this complaint? Like the prophet says, all right, I have these questions for you, God, and I'm not ashamed about them. I serve you. I love you. You know that. It didn't seem like you cared, but it seems like, okay, you're doing something. But I really question your competence in this, and I'm not going to hide. I'm going to stand up on the, outs on the outside of this town. I'm going to wait for you to answer. God, I dare you. <laughs> Try to make sense of this plan to me, but I will wait. And the prophet waits for God's reply. And that's where we're going to pick up next week. And I know that's totally unsatisfying, because that's exactly what it was for the prophet. And that's where a lot of us have to learn to live. That there's going to be a tension between our ways and our understandings and what God is doing. And faithfulness is not something that is just an always feels, oh, feels so good all the time. Right? God makes promises and then we see it right away. Right? You, you see, even look at, at Abraham. He, he went to another land, never actually got to own it. He was supposed to have all these grandchildren and all this kind of stuff he he had a few <laughs> but he had like one kid and he waited but he trusted god all right we we find like david right he, god's gonna say well you're gonna have someone who's what is sending my or yours gonna sit on the throne forever he didn't get to see that in his day but we recognize that oftentimes the people of god have got to wait but god's promises are still true Sometimes God does things that we wouldn't believe. He does things in a way we don't understand. Sometimes God works through cancer. Sometimes God works through financial problems. Sometimes God works through difficult things like family issues and divorce even. God works through broken things because God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And what that means is not just in your life, but he's so big, he's tying them all together for something amazing. That God is at work right now. But to learn to live in that tension to be faithful to a God that doesn't just serve our every need and our every want, that's hard. Now, the amazing thing to me is that this prophet understood that God, even though he's powerful and sovereign and, and all those things, that he was also relational. That this little worship pastor who had some trouble because he was praying for his people and was seeing them go the wrong way, even though he felt forgotten, he knew that God wouldn't forget him and he knew that God was going to meet him. That's faithfulness. 
he's going to stand and wait till he hears from the Lord. Now, I've had some times in my life where I've had that very same thing, and I imagine a lot of you have too, where you pray and then you see everything get worse, where, you, where the very areas we're trying to serve God, it just seems like it's getting harder. And you wonder, well, what are you doing, but do not abandon him. You wait and you ask the question, and you wait and you wait and you wait upon the Lord. But God answers. And there's three observations I want to give you as we start this book that I think are really profound that we see from the prophet. And the first one is that God does see and he does care. You may feel insignificant. And if it wasn't for God Almighty, you would be. We would just be one of billions. Who would care? Right? But God cares. And we may feel powerless because we try to act righteously in a world that seems to hate righteousness. They're even redefining it, aren't they? I remember my generation, the question about faith was this, was it reasonable to be a Christian? Is the Bible true or not? Can we trust it? That really was the battleground. And that's why when I came to faith, that was my question. I went and I studied other religions, and then I studied scripture, and I studied all the things, and I realized that without a doubt, I'd have to throw my brain out to deny the resurrection, which led for me really accepting Jesus finally over time. That's not the question today. The question is, is it moral to follow Jesus? Not, is it true? That, that our culture has gone so far in the opposite direction that we will have satanic worship on national television and yet people will go crazy if you have a super bowl ad that says jesus loves you that we live in a world in which it's immoral to follow jesus because god's ethics are at odds against the world's ethics the evil people the the enemy is puffed up and their desires are wicked and the question is, you know, in this world, is it even okay to follow God? Are, can you be a moral person and also be a Christian? And more and more and more, our culture is saying, no, even the gospel, the good news of God himself dying on a cross for his enemies so that God's love could be showed to all people so that even those who were as that, that shouted crucify him even those who have rebelled against him can receive salvation by god's grace through faith and they don't have to do that itself is being called hate speech the message of the greatest love ever we've gone topsy-turvy in the midst of this all of the craziness that's around us we ask god do you do you care do you even care and he does do you know I have read the end of all of the books of Scripture? All of them. I'm kind of proud of that. And you're like, Aaron, you're a professor, professional in this. You should do that, right? You should read all of them. Yeah, I should. I should know them. But so should all of us. And as we go through, and there's that great Bible app, and I go through every year, and we're reading through Scripture, it's amazing how we see the story unfold. And God is unflappable. History does crazy stuff. People do insane things. The enemy's certainly there trying to mess things up, and yet it always works out. There's a kingdom coming. Jesus is returning. Do you know that? And it is, it's not even uh, close in Scripture. It's not even like it's a, a close battle. It's like I'm hoping the Super Bowl will be today. Like my team will just dominate. It's, it's just that way. Like at the end of Scripture, God just shows how he toyed with wickedness to achieve his good purpose. 
We have to understand that God does see and he does care, but he doesn't just care about the big things. He even cares about the little guy. He cares about the, the worship pastor in a temple somewhere in a nation that seems to be falling away. I mean, if there's a guy that looked like he was failing at his job, it was Habakkuk. And God sees and cares. He sees the brokenness. He's not okay with the corruption that's out there, and he's going to deal with it. He's at work. We have to understand that very deeply. That's why Christians don't take justice into our own hands. We don't want to stand in the way of what God is doing. That God is at work. He doesn't need our help to go against his will to make his way come. Does that make sense? That's why we can do our part. We can be forgiving. We can love. We can be faithful. We can serve. We can love our enemies. We can care for those. We can bless those who persecute us. Right? We can do these crazy, insane things, which makes us wonder if God even knows what he's asking us to do. Yes, he does. We can see all of the persecution happening throughout the world and not doubt the fact that God is like ambivalent to the suffering of his people. We know he's there. And we also know in the details of our lives that the God who can knows every the hairs of our head, he knows the number of breaths that we take, the number of tears that we've cried, and the reasons we've cried them. The God who is so intimately involved in our lives, who actually lives, co-indwells our bodies with us, that God sees. He's present. He's not ignoring us. He's not ignoring you. That God sees and he cares and it's okay to talk to him. And here's something else, man, that, that, that uh, God is not just doing that, he's doing something amazing. It's not that just God sees and he's just ambivalent to it. It's not just that he cares. He's like, oh, man, that's really rough for you. But, you know, I don't know what to do. It's pretty messed up. I don't know what you want me to do. No. God is at work today. He is at work even through the corruption. That's the brilliance of the Almighty. That when we see those who taunt him, we see those who pervert justice, we see those who persecute his people, when we see the wicked rise up, do not panic. God is doing something amazing right before our eyes. He's going to use the devil's stick to beat him with. I love that about my God. He's not confined to the little plans and strategies that we feel so that he should be. That our God is creative and he is powerful. And he's at work right now reconciling the world to himself. His plan has not been altered. The enemy didn't make him go to plan B. He's been at work. He's doing something. And we are part of that. There is no escape from God's justice. And so when we see the unjust do wicked things in this world, you don't take it in your own hands. We appeal to a God. He's doing something. When we see corruption happen and we feel so small and the powerful just seem like there's nothing we can do, they are nothing compared to the Almighty, trust me. And God is going to use it. They can't escape. He's, he can't be bribed. He can't be overpowered. He can't be threatened. He can't be intimidated. God can't be blackmailed. God is in power. He's doing something right now confidence in what we hope for assurance about what we do not yet see god is at work and it's going to be beyond our comprehension so if you feel like you can explain what god is doing good luck because i'm grateful god doesn't fit in your tiny little brain nor mine god fits nowhere he is eternal 
He is massive in his understanding. His thoughts are so far beyond ours. We don't have to understand him. We can simply trust him. And why? The prophet found out about this, that God is big enough for our questions. It doesn't make you a bad Christian, by the way, to ask God, what are you doing? We don't just have to pretend we're okay with all the brokenness we see. God's not okay with the brokenness in this world. That's why he's at work doing something. It may not be what we want him to do. Maybe his solution is going to require a little bit of suffering. I mean, God's solution was basically like, we're praying for revival in America, and he's like, yes, I see that you should have revival in America, and I'm going to raise up the China and the North Koreans, and they're going to destroy you. <laughs> and and, and uh, they're perfect to do it because they're godless and they're evil and they're just going to do awful things, and that's going to show the unrighteous people in this country. What's <laughs> right? We'd be like, what? <laughs> that's not quite the revival we're looking for, Jesus. But I want you to know that God is big enough for our questions. He's, he's big enough for us to ask. I mean, even the Apostle Thomas, he was like, everybody else got to see the risen Lord, but he was out, I don't know, maybe he's grocery shopping, I don't know what he was doing. He was out, comes back, they're like, we saw him. He's like, you're crazy. Unless I see with my own eyes, like you have, I'm not going to believe. And it took another week, and Jesus finally shows up. And does he chastise him? Oh, no, he does not. He says, hey, Put your hands right here. Do you want to see? Here it is. And then he goes on to say, but blessed are those who don't have to have that. I mean, that's a great thing if, if we could trust God. But God's big enough for your questions. He's big enough for your doubts. Don't abandon him in your doubts. Right? He's big enough for your pain. Don't abandon him in your pain. Right? Because God's plan is way bigger than you could possibly imagine. He's doing something amazing. And you should be a part of it. So trust that his ways are higher than our ways. So as we, we start this, we recognize that we need to have faith enough to question. A real faith that follows God has got to be a real relationship. You, we can't have a false relationship. Plus, God knows we're going to have questions, right? He's asking us to follow one. He's, he's even declared himself to be holy, holy, holy. That means different, different, different. He's not like us, right? He gets it, that it's going to be difficult. He invites us to go to him. If you've got questions... Have faith enough to say, God, I'm not going to be faithless. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to stick with you. But I don't understand these things. I don't get what you're doing. But as you do, trust this, that God sees and he cares. That God sees you and he cares about you. That God right now is doing something amazing in your life. And God is big enough to answer our questions, even if we don't see what he's doing. So how do you put that into practice? So the things you want to do is memorize Habakkuk 2.4. Recognize this, that the faithful, right, that the righteous will live by their faithfulness. That not by our understanding what God is doing, not by God just answering all of our prayers and making our life easy, that God is going, that he helps us, the, faith, the righteous live by their faithfulness. Stay faithful to God. Something else you might want to do is read Habakkuk chapter 1. Read it. I see the question of the prophet. Recognize that, that God did not go and just chastise him. He, gave, he revealed himself to him. And the same God invites us to come to him. You say, Lord, I don't, under get, I don't understand what you're doing, but I'm not going to abandon you. I just want to know. I, I, I just want to know. Like, are you there? Do you see? Do you care? God will speak. Something else you want to do is to bring your questions to God. Take those. So that way, you'll see that the pathway, the prophet begins with questions, but he ends with praise. 
that God wants you not to have a check between him and you, for you to know in confidence that he is, he is competent and he's good and he actually is loving. So bring your questions. If you have them, bring them to God. Bring your doubts, bring your concerns, bring your worries. Talk to him about it. Have faith enough to ask him. Bring him into that good relationship because he's not going to reject you. But you also, if you hold on to unanswered things, if you just hold on to those doubts, how many people allow that so they reject God? It becomes a wedge between them and him. and They don't know if they can really trust him, so they hold back. And God wants us to be all in. So bring your questions to him. And as you do this, choose faithfulness. Choose to be faithful. Not because the Christian walk is easy. Not because God makes our lives just simple. Not because he always makes sense, but because God is worthy and he's good. We know that his purposes are great. We know that he cares. We know that he sees. We know that he hears us. We know that he's doing something amazing. So choose to follow him. Don't give up. Choose faithfulness. Maybe for you, that's that sacrifice today. That's where you are. And this week, have that. Just, God, I'm, I'm entrusting you. I'm going to stand on, on the rampart. I'm going to stand on the city gate until you, you show up. I'm going to be here. I'm not going to walk away from you, but I'm going to wait for you. And choose to be faithful. Let me encourage you to do that. And if you're here this morning, and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet as your Lord and Savior, do that. Because this God, he knows where you're at. And he loves you deeply. He demonstrated by dying on a cross for your, your sins too. That the gospel is true for you as it is for anyone else. That anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Because the righteous will live by their faith. And if you need to accept salvation and be saved by God's grace through your faith in Christ Jesus, the God who does see, who does care, who is doing something amazing, who's big enough for your questions and will continue to, to operate and work in and through you in your life, the God who's going to renew you day by day, then you need to come to him. And if that's you, well, I invite you after the message. I'll be over here. You can talk to me or Pastor Jesse or most anybody else in the church too. We'd love to answer your questions, help you take those steps of faith so that you also can begin to follow this God who is far bigger than, than all of your hopes and all your dreams, who's far better than anything that you could have ever desired. Choose to follow. So you need to place your faith in Jesus. We want to do that today. Hopefully that you all have a commitment, some next step to take. Uh, put that on your connection card. I do pray for you every week. If you write your, your prayer request down, we do talk to God and he does amazing things. Let us pray on your behalf. Let us come around beside you, encourage you. Let me know what next steps you're taking so I can support you in those. And Father, as we talk to the Father this week, uh, asking him to, to work amazing things in through. All right? So mark those down in just a minute. We're going to take our offering. Please take those connection cards. Drop them in the offering basket as they're passed along with your tithes and gifts. Invest your faith in the kingdom uh, and uh, let's see what God can do. All right, let's pray. Father God, we love you. We're grateful that you are a good and a powerful God, but we're also grateful that you're a kind God, that you are wiser than we understand. Lord, that uh, even if you don't give us the answers we want, that uh, ultimately it's a solution that we need, and it's something bigger than we are. But today, and in this week, Lord, I ask that you would give us as a congregation a love enough for you to bring our doubts and our concerns and our wonderings before your throne. But with the belief to know that you have the answers, that you actually do see, that you actually do care, that you actually are powerful, that you actually are doing something, 
Father, let us come to you with the expectation that, that maybe uh, even if it's bigger than we are, we can trust you. So let us meet with you this week. Draw us close. Deal with our doubts, Father, so we can, uh, so we can pursue you fully. Father, the commitments we've made, use those to, to uh, Father, help us take steps towards you. Your word is true. Uh, it says that those who come near you, you come near them. So, Father, we pray for a greater reunion of our spirit and our soul today and with, with your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray, too, for the tithes and offerings used to build your church for your glory because you are doing great things. Lord, we pray all of this in the beautiful and the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.